We are the Unshakables. Well, good morning. Man, are you excited for the Unshakables? Yeah, that, that got me motivated. I, I just pray that I preach as good as that video. That was awesome. Hey, it's so good to be here with you. We are starting a 12-week series all fall, um, this fall uh, called The Unshakables. And we feel like it's so valuable for you and me to have an unshakable foundation. And the truth is, all of us have a foundation. All of us have a foundation. All of us are standing on something, a, a belief system or, or something that shapes you and define you, defines you, a, a set of values. And, and we really believe that it's pivotal to, to make sure that the foundation that you're standing on is solid. And so that's what we're planning to do over the next 12 weeks. And we do that by many ways. One, Sunday mornings, coming to hear these sermons, engaging with them here in a moment. In fact, let's do it right now. John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 1. Now, now there's uh, three ways to engage in scripture this morning. You engage on the screens, the projector, you can engage with your iPhone, or you can engage with your paper Bible. But here's what I want to encourage you. If you only engage on the screens in here, I'm just going to let you know this. The screens aren't in your living room tomorrow morning. And these screens aren't in your car. And these screens aren't at your workplace. And so it's good to just get the habit and the practice to look up scripture, to find it, to, to give yourself that muscle memory, if you will. I, I love this. When I memorize stuff, you ever take that test and you're like, oh, man, I don't know what it is, but I know exactly what page it's on. You know, I know what's around there. I know the pictures. I, I know everything about it. I know how the paragraphs are laid out. But, but what is that? And so that's awesome because you know exactly where to turn. And when the Holy Spirit gives you words to share with one another or, or gives you a word for a family member that they need during a time uh, that's a storm in their life, then, then you can remember that and you'll be able to turn there. So that's why I'd encourage you to do that. During this series, um, we're going to be in John 1. Read that here in just a moment. But during this series, we're doing the Purple Book Challenge. Everybody say, Purple Book Challenge. Yeah. So if you don't know what this is, this is called the Purple Book, and it's 12 weeks of biblical foundations. It walks you through the Word of God and what it means to stand on solid foundation. We don't believe this book saves you, but we do believe that this book can help in your discipleship process, in your journey. And so we believe, obviously, in discipleship in our church. And so we want to encourage you. That, that, that to go through this over the next 12 weeks, whether it's by yourself, whether it's with your, with your spouse or a friend, we encourage you to go through this book. Now, sad news and good news. The sad news is we're out of purple books in the Welcome Center. The good news is there's 150 purple books coming next Sunday. And right now, for this semester only, we will give everybody who wants to go through this a book free. So you get it for free. Normally we charge for it, but we believe so much in it that we just want to pay for it and, and begin to see you grow in discipleship. Now, I, I see some of these college students. Dude, I'm going to buy a stack of those, and I'm going to sell them on Amazon, and I'm going to pay for my student loans. It's going to be awesome. Don't do that. One per person, please, for love. Only God is watching. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing at Luminous. God, we pray that your word would be illuminated to us in a new way, a fresh way. God, I just pray that you would just um, begin to lay down a foundation that we so desperately need in our life. A foundation that is not movable, not shakable, but that can withstand every storm we go through. God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for what you're doing today. Lord, bless your word and bless us who are receiving it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you love stories? You love stories. You love going to movies. You, you love Harry Potter books. You've, you've read every one of them. You just, you love a good story, right? Um, some of you like sports because you love a good story. You're hoping the story is a great ending tonight for the Cowboys game. You're really, you're really hoping for a good story. We, we like stories. We, we love stories, don't we? And my dad was the best storyteller. I remember being little at night and I would sit on the bed and he would come in and he would start telling and narrating a story for us. He called it the, the Adventures of Chuck James, which he used his first name and James Bond in one and put them together. And then I realized that these stories came from my dad's past and James Bond <laughs> all together. And, and he would tell these stories and we were dying to hear these stories. We, we loved hearing these stories. In fact, if he ever skipped telling us a story, we would throw a big fit. Poor moms, man. Moms have it hard with boys because, because boys don't want to hear their mama's stories. They want to hear their dad's stories, you know. They want to hear, like, that story that dad can give me, you know. And so it's rough being a mom, but I'm telling you, you know, just get, get a dad or, or get, get a spiritual father in there and tell your son some stories. It's going to be good. And so as, as they're sitting there telling stories, man, we were hanging on these uh, as, a, as a cliffhanger. And he would end it every night without finishing it. There's no, there's no worse story than that. A story that doesn't have an ending. A story where electricity goes out in the stadium and, and you don't know who won the game. A story that is incomplete is a no good story. How many of you know that? But man, what I love about stories is we all live stories. You and I have stories. I remember being on the college campus as a campus minister and grabbing a, a young man named Caesar and as I was grabbing him, um, I, I just wanted to understand who he was. And so in order to understand someone, you need to ask them, hey, what's your story? We sat down on Orange Leaf, and as we were eating our yogurt, he, he was just telling me about where he came from, how he grew up, what he's experienced, what he believes about God. And through that dialogue, I was able to have this, this empathy for him of, of, man, I understand you a lot better now because I know the story that has defined your life thus far. 
Now, I'm so thankful because Caesar and his story of wh where his life was this far was, was more complete when he found the story of Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus a couple of months later. And, and the true narrative, the narrative that, that I believe will define us completely, that, that was what God had for him. These macro narratives. These, these big stories, every branding company, if you're in marketing, you know about macro narratives. You, you're trying to get your brand out there. You're trying to tell a story with your brand. And so, so whether, whether it's Nike Witness or, or whatever it may be, you're trying to get your brand out there. And, and people are coming against your brand. How many of you know that? Uh, like, supersize me. That was a hard one for the macro narrative. That was a hard one. And then we have of these micro-narratives and how we interpret that story and walk within that story. And, and everybody's micro-narrative after that macro-distortion became quite, um, um, they, they stopped shopping there as much and started eating different places. We all have stories and there's all these narratives. You know what's great is, like, man, narratives are, are so good. We, we want our kids to live some narratives. You know, my, my kid loves being superheroes right now. And, and that's kind of his narrative for his life. He's, he's running around and he's karate chopping everybody. And, and then he does this robot thing. He moves to like Batman to, I'm a robot. I'm like, okay, man, whatever. I don't know what that is. He like transformed Batman. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, our daughters raise up and they see, they see the, the macro narrative of Disney getting their brand out there through princesses. And our, our daughters see it and they, they want to become a princess as well. And, Thank God for Frozen, realizing that you may not end up with the first person that you talk to. It's probably good for the world. There's a lot of isms, the stories of the isms, and so we have the political isms, uh, the libertarianism, the liberalism, the conservatism. They, they all have this narrative around them, and whatever ism you believe kind of directs and, and informs your life or, or you have the economic isms you have the capitalism or the marxism and these economic engines and these ideas of how you engage with life or you have these national stories of of colonialism or um, romanism or americanism or sanatonianism you know you you have these things that define you these stories that you're in you have these religious isms you have this Paganism, monotheism, monism. You have so many of these isms and they begin to define you and you identify with them. And, and in these isms, there's always a culprit. There's always this, this thing that you come against, you know? So if you're in the conservatism, then every, the, every person who's a liberal in the liberalism, they're bad, right? They're, they're bad. We're anti that. Or, or, or maybe you're in the Marxism, then, you, uh, then capitalism is the, the culprit. We have all that. And in our story, in the stories that, that we find ourselves in today, the one that we find ourselves, the narrative that we just read in John 1 is about the Logos. The Logos. Where, where is God and what is his story? And that's what we're going to be talking about in the Unshakables. We're going to be talking about four chapters in this narrative this morning. Four chapters. The, the first one is this creation. Creation. In Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them, and God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. God, in the very beginning of his creation, created everything, and it was good. Have you ever created something, and you're like, oh, that's good? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I have. Right? Because you don't create bad things, you know? Because if you're going to make something, you're going to create something, it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. You know, if you ever make your own food, man, my wife is an expert at making her own food. It's always good. You know, she's, she's creating this, this omelet or whatever it is, and it's like legit. And she's like, this is good. Anytime I try to make her eggs, it just doesn't, it's not up to par. It's not as good. God, God knows how to make good stuff. God knows how to make good things. In the, in the beginning of creation, he was looking around at humanity, and he was making good things. He was making perfect things, a paradise, a perfect paradise, a, a moment where God and man could talk and be in perfect relation and communion together, and it was so good. It was so perfect, and, and it was amazing, and, and God gave man the dominion mandate, meaning that they could rule over the earth, and they could name the animals whatever they wanted. That one's going to be elephant. It's pretty cool. Like that, you wouldn't have chose elephant, Blaze. I guess not. Right? He, he got to name them. He got to have dominion, rule over it. And it was so amazing what God's gift was. Creation was beautiful. And in creation, this paradise, everything was perfect. In fact, it's what we see. The, the, the light was good. The light was everywhere. Everything was exposed with light. There was no evil. And, and God had one command. And you know it. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of its fruit. What was that fruit? I don't know. Uh, some of you are naming your favorite foods, the most enticing fruits. Strawberries are always enticing me. They're like red and, you know, luscious and they're just awesome. Like, you know, whatever, you know, whatever your fruit is. They ate that fruit and they disobeyed God. And that brings us to the second chapter, the fall. So you have creation where God set it up and everything was intended to be perfect and amazing and so good. And then and then we have the fall. And this is where Adam and Eve decided to do the hashtag, you do you. <laughs> you do you, I'll do me. Cool. And they implemented this um, you do you thing. The only thing is, is that in laws and what God has set up, you do you doesn't work. You do you doesn't work. David Ruggles, boy, Caleb, believes that he's Batman. He's like, I'm Batman. And it doesn't matter how hard he believes he's Batman. If he goes and tries to jump over a moving car, Caleb's not going to make it. Caleb's not Batman. He can't defy the laws. He, he can't do that. We can't do it either. And in this postmodern Christianity, in this moment where we, it's you do you, I will define my new normal. I will define my life. I will define what I do. I will define it. And you can as long as you don't violate any laws. Because as soon as you say, I'm going to fly and try to violate the law of gravity, you're going to die. <laughs> it's the truth. And that's objective. That's objective. And there's some objective truths that we need to know. And the objective truth here is if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. 
But for some reason, we think we know what's best. For some reason, there was something in him that knew what was better or what was best. And, and for whatever reason, they were rebellious. And in Genesis 3, 8, and 9, when they ate of the tree, they, they ran and they hid from God because our nature is more inclined towards evil than good, towards darkness than light when we violated it. We broke the law, and now, now our nature has changed. We became a rebellious people, a people separated from God, and we like to do our own thing. I hate rebellion, and I'm rebellious. I'll just tell you, I couldn't confession as your pastor. I'm rebellious. I drove 74 miles an hour to church this morning. <laughs> Straight up. I even knew it. I'm like, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? Why am I doing the thing that I don't want to do? Felt like Paul right there. Right, we do this. Vincent, Vincent, when he was a toddler, was more rebellious than he is now, maybe. Maybe. You know, <laughs> you know the rod of discipline is strong. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. Okay, so... So Benson, he, he loved to go to Chick-fil-A, and he loved to go play in the playground. And as he would do it, man, he would, he would run from us. Home, babe. He would run from us, and we knew it every time. We knew it every time. He was going to run to the top, and you know what he was going to do? He was going to take a number two. He was going to take a number two. Well, we couldn't reach him. Well, we couldn't touch him. He would hide from mom and dad, you know, the people who brought him into the world. And, and he would hide from them, and he knew it was bad. And then he would play there. And he would just sit there playing in his own poop. <laughs> and it infuriated us. I mean, we were like, are you kidding me? Just come here. Just come here. And the truth is, is that you and I are no different. You and I are no different. We're going to take our dung, and we're going to hide in it. We're going to hide in our mess and our jacked upness. We're going to hide away from God, saying, God, I can't come to you. I, I got this, God. I I'll do me. You, you do you. I, I got this. And that was the fall. The fall is you and me jacked up and wanting to stay jacked up and hiding from God's goodness and grace. John, 13, John 3, verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So confusing, isn't it? We are in a world of confusion. And the more we stray away from God's law and God's order, the more confused we become as a people. And we're seeing that across the board, across the United States, across the globe, a confused people trying to, trying to bring about this who am I scenario. Why was I created? Why did you make me? And we're confused because of this, because we were once good. We were once perfect, and we once held the image of God. And, and then when we took of that apple or we took of that fruit and we disobeyed God, confusion said it. And now it's been all about striving to find out who we are as a people. And we're confused. We've been inventing religion after religion. We've been inventing different lifestyles. We've been inventing different patterns. We've been inventing so many things trying to get back 
to the place of perfection, back to the place of normal. How many of you just ever want to feel normal? I, I, I do sometimes. I, I just like, I just want to be normal. And I'm not. That's my wife. I'm so far from it. But here's where the story, the third chapter comes in. Redemption. Redemption. You see, there was such a desire for us to be normal. And the Logos in John 1 knew that. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Jesus, the Logos, the word who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When we believed the lie of the enemy in the garden, we exchanged our birthright. We gave up our birthright. And we wonder why we're so confused. It's because we need to be rebirthed. We need a new birthright. We need to be born again. John 3, 16, right before that, Jesus told them how to be born again. You see, you're separated. You're in the darkness. There's no way that you can turn to the light on your own effort. Therefore, therefore, the Logos came, and he's loved the world. He loved you and I so much that he came, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they'll have what? Everlasting life. Lee Strobel says it like this. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. That's why Jesus came. He came because in your confusion, in your depravity, in your separation, and the gap that was so large because you fell and there was no way across it on your own effort, Jesus came to make dead people new. And he came to make you and I knew it's the story of redemption. It's the narrative that you and I live for those who are in Christ. What narrative are you living? You know, in books, I, I, I hate waiting for the end. Anybody, anybody else hate waiting for the end when you're reading a novel? First thing I do when I read a book, and this is just lazy pastor, right? Hashtag lazy pastor. I... I I start reading, and then I get bored, and so I count how many pages there are. I look at the page number. And if the number's over 300, then I'm like, I'm just going to read the end. <laughs> David hates me right now. <laughs> he would never do that. You know, I love people with, like, responsibility theme because, like, that's a violation of their integrity. Like, you have to read every word. No, you don't. Just give me the good stuff, the meat. I don't want the milk. <laughs> so I skip to the end, man. I read, I read the chapters. Like, man, what's going to happen, you know? What's going to happen to Harry? What's going to happen to all these things? And, and I, re I read the end of the chapter, and I'm like, yes, it's good. I'm going to keep reading. Man, this is horrible. Why am I going to waste three weeks of my life reading this book that has no good ending? See? Oh, it's, it's called stewardship. <laughs> it's a value of ours. Somebody. <laughs> Restoration is chapter four. 
chapter 4 of this narrative of the gospel, the Logos, is restoration. Restoration is talked about in the last two chapters at the end of our book. You know, the thing that differentiates our book from every novel you pick up or every narrative that you want to have at that time, ours is timeless and it's true, and I'm not exchanging it. There is no other novel that I want to read. There is no other book. This is it. And I'm going to read the last couple of chapters because when the storm comes, and it will, and when it hits you and knocks you off your feet, you want to know what's happening at the end of this book because it's so easy to forget. I'm telling you, man. I mean, just two weeks ago, there were several people in Houston who didn't know what was at the end of the chapter, the end of the book. And they need to be reminded that we win. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The narrative is this. And in the story, Jesus enters the book. And as he comes in the book as a man, he, he decided that you and I are worth it. Now, I, I want to free you up. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. He was perfect in himself. He was perfectly fulfilled with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was perfectly glorified. He was perfection. God doesn't need you. But here's the good news. God wants you. And when you're wanted, it's almost more freeing than being needed. When you're wanted, you realize that it was a choice and that there was fully love on display as he came to earth to see you and me. And he said, they're worth it. I'm going to die for them and pay their debt. You're worth it. So God doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to restore you. He wants to redeem you. God loves you perfectly. And if I know anything in this narrative, it's his love story to us. How much you're worth it. You know, a lot of us have been trying to do works in order to find faith. But it doesn't work like that. Faith finds you. You respond. And then you do works. The product or the byproduct of the way that you live this life is because of what God has already done in you. I don't make a disciple because I'm trying to earn God's love and favor. I make a disciple because he loves me and I already have favor. It's an overflow from that. That's the proof in the pudding, as they say. The works displayed in your life as a byproduct. 
It's a byproduct. The way that we live is a byproduct. The way you disciple is a byproduct. The way that you give is a byproduct. The way that you live your life in the marketplace is a byproduct. The, the way that you, you know, see things and do things and speak and the language you choose to use and not to use and the Facebook post and the Instagram post and, and everything else that you do and say is a byproduct of grace and love from Jesus. That's freeing. Because when I mess up, he still loves me. When I mess up, he's still there. And when I go hiding, he's looking. Would you stand with me this morning? I really hope that you join us on this journey. Get in a connect group this week. Get a purple book. Bring a friend on Sunday if you think that person needs to hear it. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, you are the Logos. You're the Word. And everything was created by you and for you. Father, thank you for creating me. Thank you for looking upon us and seeing perfection when maybe we see imperfection. Father, thank you that, that you have put in place our DNA, the way that we speak, the way that we live, the way that we look. All of it is from you. There's nothing hidden and you still want us. You still want us when you see every thought that I have and everything that I say, you still want us. So, Lord, wherever people are on their journey this morning, whether they're just now having a revelation that you are the creator and that you create good things, let that be so. If it's this story that, that we're falling, and I just realized I'm jacked up, I messed up, I missed the mark. Reveal that so we can move to a place of repentance to be restored to you. And Jesus, remind us of redemption. Every Sunday we come in and sing. Remind us that we are, we are the redeemed people of God. Going to be restored to the bride or to the groom as the bride. You're going to be restored as sons and daughters living in the house of God. Let us sing that from the mountaintops. Jesus, bring about foundations that are unshakable. We love you. Amen. Well, before you leave this morning, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, it's always an honor to pray for you up here at the altar. Come get prayer. We love you. Have a blessed Sunday.